Hello everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Geekdom Come podcast, a safe haven for geeks across the internet to come together and discuss everything about their favourite movies, TV shows and comic books. I'm your host, Alex Nahum, and joining me today is a very special guest, the man who convinced me that I should funnel my infatuation with geek culture into something productive. He is the Alfred to my Batman. He is Mr. Brandon Arnold. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honour to be your first. I'll try and be gentle. Now, the format of this podcast will be pretty free-flowing, I reckon, only having one or a few general topics to discuss each episode. And we've decided that since my most anticipated film of all time, really, is coming out this Thursday, that's, of course, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, we should discuss the existing DC Extended Universe plus what our hopes are for the upcoming film. Now, at the time of recording, the DCEU only consists of one film. That's Man of Steel, directed by Zack Snyder of Watchmen and 300 fame, and stars Henry Cavill as Superman, Amy Adams as Lois Lane, Michael Shannon as General Zod, Diane Lane as Mark Kent, uh, among others. Um, now, I personally love this movie, and I've watched it over and over again. Uh, as you can tell, I've got a bit of a soft spot for DC properties, which is another reason why I brought Brayden on today. Now, Brayden... Your tastes over the years have skewed more towards Marvel Comics properties, I think. Stuff like the Avengers Universe, Spider-Man, etc. So just talk briefly about uh, what exposure you've had to DC. Well, for me, growing up, there was no DC. No Marvel and no superheroes. There was only Batman. I was raised in the Burton Schumacher era with fond memories of uh, DeVito, Arnie, Uma and, uh, and Clooney. Outside of that, it was Indiana Jones and the Return of the Jedi. My youth was spent outside with animals, dirt, and Batman. Oh, you think geekdom is your ally? You merely adopted geekdom. I was born in it. Moulded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By the time I seen the light, the only recent instances of uh, Superman was that terrible TV show, Smallville, which mm. consequently tarnished the terrible. whole Superman uh, vein of DC Universe. Um, well, really, the way I look at uh, superheroes is there's no... Like, they represent themselves not the universe they belong in. So while I was always a fan of Batman, I've never been a fan of DC. Interesting to hear that, Brayden. Now, uh, I'm always up for converting someone new to the Church of DC. Uh, so Brayden and I organised a movie night the other week where um, I showed you Man of Steel, didn't I? Uh, now, Brayden, I was pretty nervous about showing you this film. Um, I wasn't sure whether you'd like it or, or absolutely despise it. I know that the Boy Scout nature of Superman... Superman's character has uh, always been a bit of a barrier to you over the years. Would that be fair? Oh, not really. I mean, as the way I look at it, you've got Captain America. He's pretty much the the Superman mm. uh, component yep. to um, to the to the Marvel universe, and I I'm all for Captain America. But now, Braden, just um, say your thoughts on Man of Steel, and then maybe uh, we can go back and forth um, through the main aspects of the film that we liked and disliked. Um, now, a disclaimer for anyone listening who hasn't seen Man of Steel. Uh, we'll be talking in-depth uh, about this film, spoilery details and all. So if you are sensitive to spoilers, uh, maybe um, stop the podcast, go and, and watch Man of Steel, because I, I would highly recommend it, and um, come back and indulge yourself in all this spoilery goodness. So you have been warned. Yeah, well, I was up for Man of Steel based entirely on the fact that you were so adamant that it was just pure gold. <laughs> It didn't take much convincing because, uh, well, outside of the banter between us, uh, for me to sit there and watch it with you. 
To be honest, I'm glad I did. It was um, there weren't there aren't too many movies that are just a, a flat out ten out of ten, and I'm happy to say that Man of Steel was just that. Wow, ten out of ten. Yeah, well, it's quite an endorsement from a Marvel fanboy. <laughs> it is. Well, I'm Marvel fanboy. I uh, I just prefer the Marvel films because, as I said before, I like the I like the heroes, not necessarily the universe they represent. Mm, so, yep. like, I'm a fan of huge fan of Batman. Always have been. Uh, Who isn't? Fan. Really? Yeah, well, that's right. Not not a huge fan of Superman until until now. Yeah. Um, well, what I really loved about this film uh, was that it was visually and audibly stunning in and out of both the action scenes and, and the standard part of the film. Uh, there were plenty of action scenes to boot. Um, I felt a lot of time and effort put into each of the, the those components, um, and they were both masterfully executed. Well, that's Zack Snyder's bread and butter, isn't it? Well, I, I guess so. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't think of too many films. Uh, I don't go into depth like you do when it comes to directors. I look at a movie as opposed to to the director. Have you seen many of his past films, though? Um, we said there was three hundred. Yeah, yeah, yep. that was that was well done. I thought that was visually stunning as well. It was very mm-hmm. very interestingly done too. But with these, well, I like the cinematography and I like the uh, yeah. the audio components of those. And I think the cinematography on on Man of Steel was was exquisite. The first intro scene where you've got uh, Krypton. That was oh, breathtaking, isn't breathtaking. it? Breathtaking, yeah. That's probably the best word for it. <laughs> um, what I liked about it as well was the story and plot when impacted by the amount of action movie, uh, action scenes in the movie, and they were pieced in together to give a clear picture of the history behind the Man in the Cape, and I think that was brilliantly done as well. And uh, I'm eager to see what they do with the up-and-coming Batman vs Superman. Yeah, even people who really like this film, they, they keep saying oh, it's non-stop action for two and a half hours, but really, after that little... Um, part in Krypton at the start and the oil rig rescue really for the next hour or so until the Smallville fight there's really not much action at all no you're right if, if, um, if any there's a lot of story in it which is um, yeah. which was actually quite refreshing for an action film and I guess that's what I was expecting going into it um, just a lot of you know oh, I'm a superhero bash 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 I like to see action but I also want story there needs to be decent balance uh, too much fighting gets boring too much story and I'm watching a drama there's a lot of superhero movies out there, but the only ones that I really feel have a perfect balance of action and story, while also both visually and audibly perfect for me, uh, The Dark Knight, Winter Soldier, and now Man of Steel. Yeah, in terms of the story, um, what the writer David S. Goyer and Snyder were saying in the lead-up to the film was uh, they were approaching the, the story just like an adoption tale, um, married with this alien invasion tale. And I thought that was a really interesting approach to, to take with it. And for the most part, I reckon they, they pulled it off really well. I mean, it, the approach they took to the story was really, really different. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Now, before I start uh, gushing over this film like the, uh, the DC fanboy that I am, I'll, I'll balance it out, I'll make it fair, and I'll go over a few points that um, maybe didn't work so well for me. So, first off, uh, I thought there were one too many flashback scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I what do you What do you think? I well, I agree. There were lots. I just I, I feel they were a crucial part of the movie, especially from someone who doesn't know much about Superman. Coming in with all those flashback scenes allows me to find out who the man is behind the cape. Yeah. Well, the one the one that I um, uh, thought was was one too many, in particular, was the one in front of Sullivan's mechanics, where Clark, as a teenager, um, is resisting the urge to tear those bullies a new asshole. Um, and I mean, there's a representation of his strength from him um, bending that, that that pole or sort of crushing that pole with his hand. Um, and there's a good line from Park Kent. He's saying something like, 
um, you have to choose what kind of man you're going to be, Clark, and whichever man you choose, that, that man will change the world. And, and I mean, that's a really good um, thematic I don't know, sen- sentiment to have for the film, but I just thought maybe they could have inserted it into another scene or maybe have it as a voiceover at some point. I just thought, because in the flashback scene previous to this, we'd seen Jonathan Kent uh, die in the, in the tornado. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So I, I find it a little disjointing each time that Sullivan's mechanic scene comes up because he just died and now he's alive again and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Do you have any more to, to add on that scene? Well, I understand where you're coming from. Um, and I suppose that does make good, a good point with the whole structural integrity of the flashback components. But um, I still felt each and every single one of them did have an important message to say. And uh, it did also bring in that storyline. As I mentioned before, I'm a big fan of story versus action and having that story component... I think really made it a standout film for me. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it, it's a it's a nitpick at, mo- at most, but I'm just trying to um, balance it out. I'm I'm trying to be fair. <laughs> now, second of all, uh, I never fully connect with um, Jenny Olsen. I think, and, and instead of Jimmy Olsen, that that was their clever little uh, gender swap there, and also the guy um, called Lombard. But it's when they're running around uh, streets of Metropolis with um, Perry White who, let's just say, Lawrence Fishburne, magnificent actor. Anyway, when um, Jenny Olsen is trapped under the rubble during the Battle of Metropolis, I th- think it's it's paralleled to Superman uh, destroying that world engine. So, the, yeah, I, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to show the human human effect this this battle is, is, is having. And, and, you know, there's there's an emotion... It's supposed to be an emotional scene, but we n- never really get time enough with uh, Lombard or, or Jenny Olsen to really care about her... Her fate, even though she's trapped under this mountain of rubble, but the one saving grace for that scene, I think, is Lawrence Fishburne. The there's a shot where he's holding Jenny's hand. The I don't know the energy, this deadly energy from the world engine that's in Metropolis is is approaching them, and he looks back at her, and the look in his eyes, man, he's again, he's a magnificent actor, and he just sells that moment so well. Well, I remember that scene <coughs> because I was thinking, I'll just let that. Let her die. Just let her die. Move on. I want to see the explosions. And um, I, I, I remember the look in. Um, <laughs> I remember the look in his eye, and I, I know exactly what you mean. It, it's your heart just melts, isn't it? It, it does, and it's. He's like, oh, for, that. That's the sort of feeling that I, I got. From, it was, yeah, I, it's kind of. You have to see it to really understand the emotion that's captivated in his eyes. And I think having having Lawrence Fishburne in the actual, in the film, in that particular role was was key. Well, that, that'll be one of my positive points in a moment, that the casting is flawless in this film. But anyway, the one last thing that I can gripe about with this film is uh, something that's apparent in a lot of superhero and action films these days, and that's the uh, science mumbo-jumbo that they feel that it's necessary to insert into the script. It's that scene, I think, in Airfield or or something where Superman's there with the military people and and Lois is there as well, and my eyes just sort of glaze over. I stop paying attention when they're talking about, I don't know, the Phantom Drive and all that kind of crap. it's, It's just some bullshit MacGuffin type thing to just propel the plot along, but... Again, it's just unnecessary, and this is uh, apparent in a lot of superhero and action films where they just overplot the movie, I think, with too many plot points, and it just becomes a bit of a mess, and they should just maybe try to trim it down and, and not um, feel the need to explain everything. But then again, the nature of social media these days where films are discussed and everything, 
we have so many opportunities and so much time to dissect every detail of a film that maybe they feel it's necessary to put that sort of stuff in. I don't know, but that's another discussion for another podcast. Sounds good. All right, so that's enough bitching and moaning about this film on my part. Let's get into the meat of what I love about this film. And first and foremost, I love, love, love the action in this film. Zack Snyder, for some reason... He's a much maligned director. I mean, I guess you could say that some of the stories and characters in some of his films aren't fleshed out enough, but um, because people attack him so much for that, I don't think he gets the, the credit he deserves for his action and visuals. Well, um, I have to say, the hand-to-hand combat, especially in this film, oh, is just amazing. exquisite. You could feel the punches. Yeah. It's just Obviously, they have an advantage over even Superman Returns, but especially the old Donner and Lester films because um, they've got so much more technology at their disposal these days. But just the way he shoots and choreographs the fights, it's like nothing in any other superhero movie. This is the best superhero action film that there's ever been, even since. There hasn't been a film where the action is of this higher quality and of this scale. But I think Batman v Superman will probably outdo it in in that regard, um, judging by the, the trailers. I mean, I think the film that comes close to it, the closest to it, is The Winter Soldier, because the hand-to-hand combat in that is amazing. I was going to say, to counteract what you're saying, um, being a, a Marvel fanboy, as you put it, <laughs> and I gush over, over Cap. Mm. Um, yep. Winter Soldier, for me, I thought the hand-to-hand combat in that was, was out of this world. Mm. Um, it was choreographed perfectly. Uh, the fight scene between uh, Captain and... Uh, Baltrov, I think his name is, uh, yeah. on the actual ship at the the beginning. Bartok. Is uh, it Bartok? Bartok. That sounds about right. Um, that that little fight scene only goes for about 20, 30 seconds, but that right there just shows the choreography uh, of the fight scenes in particular uh, at, a, at an extremely high level. Um, watching Man vs. Steel, I can basically compare... Man of Steel? Man, yeah, Man of Steel. Well, well, I can't even remember what I said. Man of Steel, watching that... Uh, I compared it a lot to uh, Winter Soldier, and I'm going to have to say that I think they're about equal, and that's 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 saying a lot because I I love Winter yeah. Soldier, um, but the the action scenes are pretty comparable. Well, just to go off on a bit of a tangent, um, that guy who played Bartok or whatever his name is, um, he's an MMA fighter in real life, I think, mm, and yeah. and it's it's directors going that extra mile to cast someone like that, and it it just it um, sets apart their their films from. Any other. Now, Snyder is a self-confessed um, fanboy of Superman. He, it's by far his favourite superhero. And um, it was funny, in the interviews uh, leading up to Man of Steel, he, he kept getting asked all these questions, you know, who, who would win in a fight out of Superman and Hulk, Superman and Thor, Superman and Batman. And before anyone um, would f- finish what they're saying, he would just say, Superman, Superman, Superman. Because it's, it's true. I mean, he's the granddaddy of all superheroes, and he has um, over... Uh, his 78-year history, all the powers that sort of other superheroes have um, have borrowed from. Yeah, see, that's probably something that maybe one of the reasons why I don't like him, just for the simple fact that he's just too overpowered. Superman. Yeah, but that's that's what they did, I think, in in this film really well. They he's still really powerful, but they've depowered him from say even. Uh, the Donner films, because in in those films he sort of effortlessly, I don't know, lifts things and does all his Superman stuff. You know, mm. um, sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's fine. Watching him strain with the oil rig was actually um, yeah. that seemed to. I liked that part, but I mean, for me, going back to Captain America because he's just obviously a better superhero. 
Um, <laughs> sorry. He gets shot multiple times and he's wounded and he's not he, he's not a god. Where you look at yeah. Superman, he, he everything about him is godlike. And in Captain America, while he's superhuman, he he can still be wounded. And I think that's something that I like about the superheroes. It's not that they're reasonably attainable, I guess, and, and that's probably why I don't really like the character of, of of Superman. Yeah, I think what they did well in showing his vulnerability, because it's really hard at the moment to show his physical vulnerability, they showed his emotional vulnerability. But anyway, that's, that's we're, we're going Way slightly off, off topic. Um, so yeah, Snyder's a huge Superman fanboy. He wanted to display his power as best he could, and I think he did an awesome job. And what he did really, really well as well is show the impact on a human environment of these two guys who were basically gods just bashing the crap out of each other. And the amount of destruction in the film is probably the most popular point of contention that people have. But I understand where Snyder was coming from. To update a character like Superman who for a long time has either sort of gone without a worthy challenger or has stagnated a bit in his interpretations, you, you needed a dramatic adaptation like this to, to sort of grab people's attention and make them interested in the character again. And even if um, people hate or love this film, which is sort of the two reactions that are with this film, there aren't many people who are down the middle. It, it creates debates, it creates conversation, and I think over time it um, will hopefully be um, appreciated um, more than it has been. And with what's been shown in the uh, BBS trailers so far, the destruction of Metropolis at the end is uh, a launching pad for... Um, the main conflicts in the film, both thematically and the physical conflict between um, Batman and Superman. Now, Russell Crowe is the man in this film. He just commands the screen like no one else. He plays Jor-El, Superman's Kryptonian father. Thankfully, he gets more to do in the role than Marlon Brando did in the original. That was It was a good performance because it was Marlon Brando, but both Kara el and Jor-El, they're more active characters. And I think you spend about twice as much time on Krypton in this movie than you did in the original. And I think that just, I mean, it's, it creates a more immersive environment, I think. In that scene on Earth where his, um, his consciousness, in quotation marks, is speaking to Clark aboard that, um, uh, yeah, the Kryptonian ship, would have felt like ex exposition overload and sort of would have just um, ground the film to a halt, but in the uh, hands of an actor of the calibre of... Uh, Got old Russ. He does a fine job. And also there's, there's an inter interesting visual element to the scene where that black sand-like stuff is forming and reforming into different shapes. Mm. Uh, the Kryptonian planets and everything. And Krypton itself is incredible, like you said before. Um, a great way to open the film. And you're actually left feeling like you want to spend more time there, but uh, tough titties. It, it blows up. We have to move on, but that's obviously just a necessary part of the uh, Superman mythology. Now, on the other side of the coin, uh, with... Uh, Clark's human parents, Diane Lane and Kevin Costner are just incredible in this film. They act as a uh, moral guide for Clark in the film, but I liked how their teachings to him are not done in sort of a preachy way or they're saying, you know, it's it's our way or the highway sort of thing. They ultimately let Clark make, make the decision and that empowers Clark as a character. Uh, that line from the scene after Clark saves the school bus and um, he's talking with Park Kent and he, and he asks him, what, what was I supposed to do, just let them die? And Kevin Costner pauses and just says, maybe. Now, that line was in the trailer. Every time I saw that line in the trailer, it, it, it was, it was gut-wrenching. And the line itself is so powerful, just one word, that even in the movie, when I, when I saw it, and every time that I've seen the movie, it's just, 
it's it's an awesome line and it's not a moral stance that you see taken in a superhero or action film these these days and um that sort of line it starts conversations and ultimately i think if a movie like this a mainstream movie like this can start people talking about morals and ethics it's um, done one hell of a job yeah well at the end of the day i think uh from a from a story perspective you've got that line is basically saying you know at the end of the day you are our whole world you know we need to look out for you you need to look out for yourself so yeah maybe maybe you could let them die because at the end of the day you need to look after yourself and i I think from from an action film that is a very interesting everything a very interesting directive and um that was probably one of my favourite points in the, in the entire film. And from what we've seen of Mark Kent in the trailers for Batman v Superman, she's taking a similar sort of approach in guiding Clark. She says that uh, Clark can, can either save the world or not. It's, it's up to him because he, he doesn't know the world a thing. Now, that line rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because they say it makes Mark Kent look like a bit of a bitch, a bit uncaring. Uh, but I just think in the end, again, it makes the decision Clark's own and, and gives his character something to think about and decide upon. Otherwise, he's just um, following orders from other people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't really, I didn't really connect with Ma. I connected with Pa because I, as I said, that that line that he had before was just really powerful. And at the end of the day, uh, Ma is really, it's she's caring about her son, um, and so that line right there just brings a humanity to to the Superman yeah. character himself. Because at the end of the day, he doesn't owe the world a damn thing. All right. Final point about Man of Steel is the Man of Steel himself, Cavill. Now, I think he was a great role, great choice for this role. Um, his, while his character doesn't personify the, the classic, hopeful, light-hearted version of Superman that uh, probably comes to most people's mind when you say Superman, but um, I'm seeing it as a gradual development of the character, and Man of Steel is just chapter one in uh, a larger overall story but I thought he brought um, great humanity to the role and I, I, the, the, the vulnerability that his character um, was allowed to show about being unsure of his place in the world and being an alien really obviously would have I thought sp- uh, spoken a lot to um, uh, different minorities adopted children I mean that's basically how every teenager sees himself uh, at one point or at his or herself at one point or another um, plus, the man looks the part physically. I mean, he's got the classic superhero chin. Um, he's built like a brick shit house. I mean, that, um, that shirtless scene after he rescues the people on the oil rig would have made even the staunchest of heterosexual men blush just a little bit. Yeah, well, I went in 100% straight and I left 99% straight. So <laughs> I don't, I, you can take with that for what you will. All right, so that's sort of all the aspects of the film that I wanted to, to go over. Are there any other bits of the film that you wanted, wanted to talk about before we move on? Uh, not really. Um, one thing that I like about most movies is the soundtrack. That's something I look for in a movie. Mm. Like, for example, uh, something completely out of context and everyone's going to hate me for, but Twilight. Twilight, terrible film, terrible cast, terrible acting, terrible script. Everything was terrible except for the soundtrack. Oh, and the cinematography. I thought the actual shots were, were, were pretty well done. But the soundtrack, the soundtrack was perfect. It fit everything well. Well, listeners, um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, Braden being on the podcast because this is the first and last time you're going to be on here if you continue to uh, gush about Twilight. No, now, let's, no, 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 no. Let's just move on. Okay. Well, the reason why I brought that up is because the soundtrack was fantastic. Sound- mm. Perfect soundtrack, terrible film. Now, with this... I didn't pay attention to any of that. 
I'd like to. I'd like. I'm gonna have to watch it again so I can actually try and pay attention to that because this, the music and the the soundtrack to uh, a movie is actually it plays a big part for me, and I didn't pay attention to that because there was just enough going on for me to uh, not have to worry yeah. about that. Um, I thought uh, Hans Zimmer took an interesting approach because trying to um, come up with another theme for Superman. Um, to sort of replicate the feel that John Williams did. I mean, you, you you can't improve upon what John Williams did in the in the Donna films. Um, that was just perfect. But Hans Zimmer did what Hans Zimmer has done really in the last decade, and he's sort of gone for more uh, percussion-based themes and more sort of atmospheric. Um, so, and I really love it. I mean, being a drummer myself, I love the uh, the prominence of the uh, of, of drums. In the um, in the soundtrack, and uh, it sounds as if, from what we've heard again in the trailers for, for Batman v Superman, that um, they're continuing along that line, and it sounds fantastic. But sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, that's fine. I just no? um, unfortunately I didn't actually pay a lot of attention to the uh, to the soundtrack, which uh, is quite disappointing because it's a huge thing for me. Hmm. Um, okay. And and yeah, so I, will you say the theme? I, unfortunately, I didn't get that. That's something I'm going to have to go back and watch again. All right, so that brings an end to our discussion of uh, what some would call a cinematic masterpiece. I certainly would. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd give, as I said, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Yep. Cinematic masterpiece, uh, well and truly. Um, others may, might, might differ in their opinion a little bit, but um, be that as it may, let's move on to uh, a film I'm, I am so excited for. At the time of recording, we are three. I am three days, ten hours, and four minutes away from seeing this film, and I just I can't wait. Anyway, um, that, of course, is um, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Um, now, I thought the way we could structure this conversation, we can just go back and forth um, over a few topics, like the casting, uh, the casting additions, in the film, uh, what we hope to see in the movie and all what we think may happen from what we've seen in the trailers and the promotional materials. Um, now, again, a spoiler warning. Some of our guesses, educated or not, may turn out to be true. So if you are sensitive to potential spoilers, maybe stop listening now. But if you don't care about spoilers or wish to speculate yourself along with us, feel free to keep listening. Now, the movie comes out this Thursday at uh, time of recording, uh, March 24 and is directed once again by Zack Snyder. Um, uh, returning cast members, Henry Cavill, Diane Lane, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, y- yada yada. Um, but the three big, uh, sorry, the four big casting additions are Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Jeremy Irons as his um, butler slash confidant slash it looks like um, uh, weapons expert Alfred Pennyworth, uh, Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, uh, and um, I'm not sure quite how to pronounce her name. I think it's Gal Gal Gadot as uh, Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman. Now, with the exception of Irons, um, at the announcement of the other three cast members, the uh, majority of people on the internet freaked the fuck out, it's fair to say. <laughs> to put it like um, They were livid with the decisions that um, Snyder and WB have made. They, they thought, oh, this movie is doomed to fail from the start. Um, now, to be fair... They were all pretty left-field choices. Now, when Affleck was announced, in the first few seconds after reading it, I was I was surprised. But then when details about his character started to come out and we sort of knew what kind of Batman we were getting, I was ex- extremely excited. The same with Jesse Eisenberg. Obviously, 
when Eisenberg was was announced, you knew right away it was going to be a different interpretation of the character from what uh, Kevin Spacey and Gene Hackman did. And again, that rubbed people, uh, rubbed a lot of people the, r- the wrong way. Um, when it came to Gadot being uh, cast, I wasn't necessarily indifferent to her casting announcement. It's just that I hadn't really seen much of her acting ability up until then. It was only Fast and Furious, Fast Five and Fast Six. But yeah, and and her role in the film uh, remained a mystery for a long time. But again, once they sort of explain more of that, it's, um, you know, you know, I've become more excited about it, and she certainly looks the part, and um, yeah. Certainly over time, with those three characters, the more that we've seen and heard of them in, in trailers and, and official images and whatever, once people have started to get a clearer idea of what Snyder and WB are doing with the characters, I think they've won more people over. And um, that's certainly been reflected in the positive pre-release ticket sales as well. I think in America, last week they, they'd already reached... 30 or 40 million dollars in pre-sale tickets which uh, um, I think was the second highest um, in history only after Star Wars now obviously with the cultural phenomenon like Star Wars you uh, currently compete with that but again we're getting off topic Um, Brayden I want to hear your opinion on the uh, casting decisions I know you're itching to uh, let your opinions be heard so have at it Hoss well as I was was saying earlier to you um, I've only seen the the original trailer once I try and stay away from watching uh, multiple uh, iterations of it uh, and I'd like to try and stay away from watching um, any more that's come out because at the end of the day I feel they give too much in trailers these days Um, in regards to casting um, I haven't been a huge fan of Ben Affleck but Pretty much everything he's been in I've enjoyed, and I do actually quite like his acting capabilities. When I heard the initial announcement of him being the new Batman, I was disappointed. I was a huge fan of uh, the Nolan uh, line yeah. of Batman, and, and that, that dark, sort of gritty um, com- component that, that Bale actually put into it. And he did uh, a great job as well. He, he did a fantastic job. Uh, and when I heard of, of the Batfleck, I was <laughs> initially disappointed. But... um. I suppose at the end of the day, he's got the most important part of uh, of Batman, and that's the chin. So really, at the end of the day, it's really where you get to see. So, um, yeah, it's really a two horse race between him and Clooney as to who's had the best chin. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> um, after seeing Man of uh, Steel, I've got no concern about Superman. Uh, Cavill absolutely nailed it, and will yeah, do so again in this one without a doubt. And when I seen that Eisenberg was in there, I, I hate him with an absolute passion. He's just got an entirely punchable face, and his voice is so annoying. Like I know mine's annoying, but his is just out of this world annoying. Now on that note, uh, I've got nothing else to say on him. Hopefully, I'm surprised about what we see. Yeah, well, the early buzz about his character from the early reviews that I've, I've read, he's a real highlight of the film. Anyway, I in- interrupted you. <laughs> That's Go fine. for it. Um, now, the major thing for me in Batman vs. Uh, Superman was in the trailer. Uh, we see our heroes saved by Wonder Woman. Putting her and that scene into the trailer, I feel they missed a huge wow moment. Um, something akin to the, the no, I am your father sort of moment for me. Um, and they're kind of just, uh, they've missed the point. Screwed the pooch a little bit? Screwed the pooch. I guess by having a, a really powerful female hero probably save the two most influential superheroes of all time is an, is an epic move. Um, I can see it being fairly emasculating uh, to witness. Uh, as a husband to an awesome woman and a father to an amazing little girl, it makes me proud to see females cast in such, uh, such big roles. Without being sexist, 
the scene comes across as a huh, Batman and Superman have to be saved by a woman and um, and putting the the lead or powerful female role into a situation like that will probably have an emasculating effect it'll be quite funny to see some of the audience's reactions um, when it comes to that yeah well I mean uh, a core aspect of Wonder Woman's character is that she out of, out of all the members of the Justice League is the most skilled fighter so I think they're just building her up um, to be a badass that people who read the comics and have, have watched the animated series of, of Justice League and animated films um, they, they already know that she's a badass and I think uh, this being the first big screen adaptation of her character they they need a potent introduction to her so I think that's why uh, that's why maybe that she's playing that role but again yeah I, I understand where, you, where you're coming from because um, WB have really changed the way they've um, they've approached marketing this film since the negative reception that that trailer has um, has received and um, you know it, it reveals Doomsday, what a creature that is supposedly Doomsday. It might be some sort of mutated version of Bizarro. If if you don't know who those characters are, uh, Doomsday was basically a plot device that was um, introduced in the early '90s to to kill Superman. It was part of the de- death and return of Superman story arcs. And Bizarro is basically this weird sort of clone of Superman that um, at times has been um, engineered by Lex Luthor. So. Um, who knows? They they could go e- either way, but um, I'm, I'm yeah I'm I'm am still really really excited to see that scene because again part of the early reviews that I've I've read that end fight is is awesome. So I think if the final product is as awesome as um, I've heard it is, um, that might sort of um, soften the blow that that, uh, that second official trailer had. Now a few design aspects of this film and. Um, you know, the very notion of Batman and Superman fighting each other have taken inspiration from the Frank Miller graphic novel The Dark Knight Returns. Have you read that, Braden? Uh, unfortunately not. It's not one I've got in my collection. All right, well, I mean, it's it's an iconic graphic novel and really sort of set the stage for the um, the grim, dark tone uh, that came back to the Batman mythology in the mid-'80s. It was 1986, I think. But the one point of contention I have with it being based on The Dark Knight Returns is how neutered the character of Superman is in, in that comic. He's just basically a puppet for the government, and it just strips the character of all his independence and strength. Also, because Batman is lately, um, with the Nolan trilogy being so popular, he's globally more popular, um, there is a concern that I have that he'll he'll take center stage in the fight and basically just school Superman, also because he's, he's the more, um, more seasoned crime fighter that might come into it as well. And from the trailers that I've seen, They've been edited in a way that shows Batman winning. Well, winning in the sense that he's shown that Superman isn't invulnerable because that's what his goal in the in the comic book, uh, in in the graphic novel fight as well is as well. Um, he knows that he can't beat Superman toe to toe in a fight, but he just wants to plant that seed of doubt in Superman's mind. From the trailers, again, it looks as though after the first encounter when Superman tells Batman to retire, Batman uh, goads him into a fight with um, lighting up the bat signal and that. That could be a similar setup to what was in The Dark Knight Returns when Batman lures Superman to Crime Alley where um, Batman's parents were killed all those years ago and he's organised several booby traps for Superman uh, in order to weaken him. In that latest trailer that, that we've had, we see a shot of Batman firing a bullet of some sort at Superman and Superman just catches it in midair. Now, I think, um, just from what I know of The Dark Knight Returns, um, just like in the comic book, it, that... that bullet is going to be a kryptonite bullet 
It'll be shot at Superman. He catches it and it explodes in this uh, big puff of kryptonite dust and unbeknownst uh, to Superman, he's weakened. And then that could lead into the next shot that they have in the trailer where Superman throws a, a haymaker at Batman and he and he blocks it and there's that, that awesome look on Superman's face. He's like, what the fuck has just happened? Oh my God. And um, yeah, so I'm rambling now. But uh, I'm just getting so excited about the, the, the prospects that are in this film. And I see your eyes starting to glaze over, Brayden. So do you have anything to add to that? Now, with all that being said, even if Superman loses the fight in the movie, as I said before, Snyder's a self-confessed Superman fanboy, more so than even with Batman. So I don't think he'll let the, Superman, the, the character of Superman uh, be treated the way he was in the Dark Knight comic. And I think that um, uh, he and his wife, Deborah Snyder, uh, both of whom are producers on this film, have enough clout at WB that they won't be pressured into making Superman Batman's bitch just to satisfy the audience. Now, Brayden, if you would indulge me for a moment, I just want to talk about Jesse Eisenberg as, as Lex Luthor, okay? This is going to be a fascinating part of the movie, I think, his take on the character. He's already turned in an Oscar-nominated performance as an obsessive billionaire who talks down to everyone in the room because he's smarter than them. Why not add a dose of uh, sinister evil in there for good measure? It'll be great to see this side of Luther that um, has never really been shown on the big screen before, and that's the insane maniac behind closed doors, the, the puppet master pulling the strings and ma manipulating people around him, like Superman and Batman, in order to achieve his desired outcome. Also, the, um, the mad scientist as well, with him experimenting on General Zod's corpse to create Doomsday. That's what we assume from the trailers, anyway. Now, Gene Hackman's performances in the original series of films will be what most people would measure Eisenberg's performance up against. But Hackman's character was a little more one note than what I hope to see from Eisenberg's Luther, but his interpretation was fine for the movies that he starred in, for the time that they, they were made. Cavill's Superman is different than the one Christopher Reeve played, so his arch enemy should uh, change to a similar extent. It's only because this movie is filled with so many highly anticipated elements for me that the new version of The Dark Knight has been uh, left to being mentioned third. Now, DC casting announcements have had a long history of causing fan outrage from Michael Keaton to uh, Heath Ledger most recently, and um, Ben Affleck's announcement was no exception. Uh, the entire scope of the internet's negative reaction could have its own episode on this podcast, but suffice it to say, Affleck has uh, convinced pretty much everyone that he is going to own this role. The five previous actors to have portrayed a big screen live action version of Batman have all excelled at bringing us certain aspects of the character from the comics, uh, but Affleck seems to be incorporating the most complete version of the character that we've seen. He obviously has the look of a billionaire playboy, he's physically the closest to the build of the character, even from the early 90s animated series. He's, uh, he's emotionally broken, he's haunted, and just pissed off all the time, it seems, which, by the nature of the character, is a big part of who he is in private and in the Cape and Cow as well. Uh, the combat that we've seen um, from the trailers has improved uh, in this movie out of sight, and it really shows how Bruce is the master of 127 different styles of martial arts. That sequence from the, the, the trailer that I just um, showed you, uh, the opening se opening minute of that trailer is ripped right out of one of the Arkham games, and I am so excited that Snyder seems to be taking the best element elements of the character from the comic books, previous cinematic adaptations, and also the video games to give us this uh, iteration of Batman that will differ him from the rest. And uh, what will do that would be the prevalence of Batman's gadgets and also his detective skills. 
It's been implied in the second second official trailer that uh, Bruce Wayne knows that Clark Kent is Superman, and him knowing how to weaken Superman to the extent that he does could be an indication that this Batman uh, does his homework. Plus, the Batmobile, the Batwing, and the mechanical suit look uh, just fucking badass, uh, lending credence to the fact that this Batman is able to inhabit a world where uh, an alien god exists. Now, you talked before about your thoughts on Batman. Have you got anything to add? Um, well, I was a... As I said before, I was a little bit concerned with Batfleck, but you know, having just seen the combat involved in uh, in that, in in regards to the Nolan films, yes, while they were fantastic, they kind of weren't as good as as for example Captain America in regards to combat, and definitely weren't as good mm. as um as the uh, Man of Steel. But this, since uh, since we've got the the Batman vs Superman. Uh, trailers out at the moment. Uh, what I've just seen has just been out of this world. So I'm so excited about about uh, about this Batman. Now to round out the DC Holy Triumvirate. Triumvirate is that a word? That's a word, isn't it? It's it's a word now. It is now. Let's talk about Wonder Woman. Now for a long time, her role in the uh, film was unknown, and um, some might say a bit of a distraction from titular conflict. Now her costume looks awesome. It does. It. It really encompasses the New 52 version of the character, which was released... Uh, that run of comics was released about five years ago. Now, besides that, we, we had only heard her speak a line in, this, in the latest trailer that was released five or six weeks ago. And her accent sounds exotic and very regal, which fits perfectly with what her character would be. Plus, that shot of her leaping into battle with her sword drawn and... Her screaming just looks out of this world. Um, there's not much else known about the character herself, at least what role she plays in the movie, besides the fact that she's about 5,000 years old at the time of the movie and that she is an antiquities dealer, which makes sense and I think is is a stroke of genius to make that part of her, her um, character. But what I think is going to happen, because we've seen these sort of nightmare sequences or, or premonitions, that's what we've been told they are, and we get hints of the uh, DC villain Doomsday. No, no, not not Doomsday. Who, who am I talking about? Um, Darkseid. Now, here's the big sort of big bad of the the, um, the DC universe, the most powerful one. Now, what I think, because Wonder Woman's been around for so long, she's actually fought Darkseid in the past, and maybe that's why she has uh, the premonitions, and you can see stuff like the parademons and the Omega symbol uh, pertaining to, to Darkseid because Batman and Superman wouldn't have any clue about that. I mean, why, why would they have a premonition like that? Do you have any thoughts on Wonder Woman? Uh, I, I do. Um, it wasn't until probably about uh, 10, 15 minutes ago before I seen the last trailer. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was concerned that uh, she wasn't actually going to be uh, able to play the part. Um, uh, we haven't seen much of her before, uh, especially outside of Fast and Furious. She is actually first and foremost a, a model that uh, Gal Gadot, how you pronounce her name? She um, was Miss Israel. Miss Is- well, 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 there you go. There you um, go. So yeah, before before that, um, before I seen the trailers, I was concerned that she wasn't actually going to look like she was uh, an Amazonian Amazonian warrior princess. Mm. Um, well, you've got Batfleck who can, uh, who looks like he can actually put people through the pain that he can put people through in the trailer. I was just concerned that um, I wasn't going to see the same from, a, from an Amazonian warrior princess. I understand where you're coming from. I mean, she, she doesn't have that uh, dominating physical presence that uh, Batman and Superman have. But I think since the character of Wonder Woman is a god herself, I mean, she, or a goddess, um, I don't think she needs to... Uh, have that physical presence in order to be able to display her power. And I think if, if you just make her this beefed-up, steroid-filled 
woman as well. I mean, she she's not showing a unique brand of feminine power. She's just basically trying to look like one of the guys. Well, I, I understand what you mean on, on that front as well, but at the stage that I uh, looked at it with the first trailer, it looked like she'd struggled to pick up chopsticks. She's got a you know a spear, <laughs> a sword, and a shield, and at the end of the day, well, it, it takes strength to be able to wield those weapons, and you know someone who who doesn't look the part would make that unconvincing, and I think that's what you need. Like, I don't think that she need to be a, a steroid brute-looking woman, but she still needs to have some muscle mass because it takes... It takes muscle to actually be able to lift those gear, uh, lift that gear, and, and use it properly. Yeah, I think she'll con- she'll deliver a convincing performance through her body language and her her intensity of, of her performance. Um, and let's not forget that she was in the Israeli army, and she wasn't just a soldier; she was training the soldiers. So she was training the badasses in that army on how to be a badass, and she was putting them th- through the rigor. So I think someone with that sort of life experience can bring the necessary sort of kick ass. Uh, intensity to this role that um, people obviously want to see and you know is what is necessary for the character yeah well she was hand to hand in um, in Fast and Furious I think from memory um, so she has that personification of, uh, of kicking ass in heels but at the end of the day she's using a sword and shield she's got to be able to hold them up now just to finish off this conversation um, let's talk about the uh, the rumoured and confirmed cameo appearances of the other Justice League members now it's been uh, confirmed that um, Aquaman, The Flash, and Cyborg uh, are going going to appear in the film. Where with Cyborg, it would be at least his his alter ego, Victor Stone. Um, you know, Ray Fisher is playing Cyborg and was cast fairly early on, uh, in early two thousand fourteen, I believe. But there's been no sight of him in any trailer or TV spot, so I don't think his role is going to be very big. Similarly, Jason Momoa's look as Aquaman was revealed about a year ago but hasn't been featured in any of the marketing. And I haven't read any articles that expand on what their and Flash's exact roles are in the movie, just because I want to leave some surprises for when I see it in the theatre, but I can't imagine that would be much more than glorified cameos. Now, there have been too many high-profile examples, especially in the last few years, of superhero films being overstuffed with characters. Um, for Warner Brothers to make the sort of mistake of shoehorning in too many characters i just hope i'm not giving them too much credit so i think that will bring us to the end of the very first episode of geekdom come thank you to everyone who came down the river into the heart of darkness with us it was a fun ride and one that we hope to have again many times in the future Um, if you would like to contact me with any queries or questions you have about the show or any suggestions for um, topics you'd like for us to discuss or segments for us to introduce Um, i am on twitter at geekdomcom that's g-e-e-k-d-o-m-c-o-m-e and um, i can also be reached at my email address a-l-e-x-n-a-o-u-m-88 at gmail.com brayden can people get in touch with you uh through you i think it would be Perfectly sufficient. Okay. Um, so all the uh, all the Braden groupies out there, you can send your love for him uh, via me, and I'll uh, make sure he gets those messages of love and support. Uh, so everyone, again, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week with a spoiler-filled review of Batman v Superman. I cannot wait. See you later.